I'm reading from uh, the Gospel according to John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 27. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Lord, bless the reading of the word. It was nearing Passover, the greatest uh, celebration of the Jewish calendar. It was a time for the gathering of the faithful. The streets were crowded with people from near and far, and everyone wanted to spend Passover in Jerusalem, even if they didn't get to they would often close their celebrations with next year in Jerusalem, indicating that they would be there. Yet there among the crowd were some who didn't seem to fit in. Their clothes, their language, it set them apart. And anyone who was paying attention would have seen that these people were different, that they were Greeks. In the first century, people were labeled uh, in a variety of ways. The term Roman applied to those who were citizens of Rome. Jews were those who were descended from Abraham and continued to follow the teaching of Moses as they understood them. Hellenists were Jews who had adopted Greek customs, and these people usually lived outside Palestine. Greeks were people who were seen as civilized, but who weren't Jewish, uh, and, and they could live anywhere. Among the Greeks, there were those who converted to Judaism, and there were people who followed the Torah without being fully converted. And when John records that there were Greeks there to celebrate the festival, he would have been referring to the people who were not Jews officially, but who worshipped the Jewish God. As recorded in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus came uh, into Jerusalem in triumph. It was just before this event, before these, uh, these Greeks came seeking Jesus, that he went into the, uh, uh, Jerusalem on the donkey, people shouting Hosanna, uh, honoring him in, in all the ways that they did. And he went into the temple and threw out those who were selling animals and exchanging money. This had all just happened in the days just before. And remember that the temple was divided into different sections. There was the court of Israel, which was limited to Jewish males only. Anyone who wasn't a circumcised Jewish male who entered that part of the temple would be killed. Uh, there's been signs recovered written in stone from the walls 
saying that uh, something to the effect of any uh, non-Jewish man who enters in here will have his death on his own head. That's, I guess, a nice way of saying, if you come in, we're going to kill you. Either way, uh, that, was, that was the one area. Then there was another part uh, where the temple was divided, and it had a low wall, and, and that was the court of the women. Here only Jewish women were allowed. There was a separate entrance for the court of the women and the court of Israel, and as I said, a low wall separated the two courts. There was the third court, the court of the Gentiles, and it was in the court of the Gentiles that the non-Jews could worship. It was also in the court of the Gentiles where stallers for animals and tables for exchanging money had been set up. Uh, when Jesus had thrown the merchants out, saying that his father's house was a house of prayer, uh, it was something the Gentiles would really have seen as a special action. It was something done specifically for them because the, uh, the house of Israel, or the, I'm sorry, the court of Israel and the court of women, they wouldn't allow those animals and those kind of things in there. So they wouldn't have seen it as uh, important to push those others out. Well, most likely the Greek men had been there when Jesus acted. They recognized that a new time was coming about, and it was coming about in the person of Jesus. They wanted to find out more about what was going on, and they sought out a follower of Jesus, and that was Philip. They probably sought him out because he was the only one of two of the disciples who had a Greek name. Philip, for uh, whatever reason, decided he wasn't going to take it on himself to take them to Jesus, and he sought out Andrew. And Andrew was the other disciple who had a Greek name. And both of these men apparently were from Bethsaida, and it was a town just outside Galilee where there was a lot of influence by the Greek culture. It's not unreasonable to think that these men may have known Philip before this time, and that's why they went to him. Either way, Philip and Andrew go to Jesus and tell him that there are the Greeks there wanting to see him. It's interesting, we don't know whether they ever got to see him or not. The scriptures are silent, they may have, they may not. Uh, it just doesn't say. Jesus does respond that the hour has come to glorify him. This simple statement is a reversal of what John reports Jesus saying on various occasions. In John 2, 4, he tells his mother that uh, when she asks him about the wine running out at, in Cana, he says, my hour has not yet come. In John chapter 7, verse 6, and again in verse 8, Jesus tells the religious leaders he, he is arguing with that his time has not yet come. In John 7, 30, and, and again in, in 8, 20, there are situations where people are really angry with Jesus, and John says they didn't lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But now, Jesus says, the time has come. Jesus was aware of what that would mean. His comments about the seed falling to the ground and dying refers to his coming death. In the case of, of seeds, you know, unless the sower lets go of the seed and effects throws them away, the seed remains useless. Jesus could have held on to his life, but he knew that to do so wouldn't serve the greater purpose that God had for him and, and for the world. In verse 25, he says that hold, the one who holds on to their life will actually lose it. Just as holding on to the seeds and not throwing in, uh, them to the ground would result in the seed eventually rotting away, 
so too would holding on to his life result in life becoming nothing. It's easy to get lost in, in the phrase in this passage that I read where it says that unless someone hates his life, uh, this is not hate in the sense of totally despise or reject something as bad. It's hate in the sense that the sower hates the seeds. He says, you know, I don't want them to be a part of me. He throws them away. And that is a necessary action if there is going to be anything uh, to come of, of the seed. It's in that sense that he says that a person has to be able to let go of their life. It's in that sense that the church, in a sense, has to hate itself if they're going to grow. They have to be willing to let go and move forward. Real life comes in giving our lives for the Master, for Jesus our Lord. As servants of Jesus, we're expected to follow Jesus in all that he does. He didn't hold on to his life at the expense of what God wanted. We need to have that same attitude. Paul reminds us of that in, in uh, where he records what we call the Christus hymn in, in Philippians. And he says, have this mind in you that Jesus also had, who being in the form of God did not hold on to that, but became a servant and was a servant even to the point of death. The disciples were upset with what Jesus was saying. At some level, they knew he was talking about dying, and, and they would have preferred he talk about something else. As a matter of fact, I don't think Jesus was particularly happy to be talking about his death. Remember, Jesus was a human being, and, and like any human being. The prospect of death wasn't something he looked forward to. Uh, it, it, was, it was not going to be a great carnival. It wasn't going to be uh, a fun time. It would involve suffering, separation from his family and friends. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he asks them, should I now ask God to change the plan? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he states clearly what he wanted. That is for the cup of suffering to pass from him. However, he adds that ultimately he wants what God wants. No, he tells his disciples, this was the reason I came. As strange as it sounds, accomplishing a task is sometimes painful, even if it doesn't end in a crucifixion. My father had heart problems, and we could expect, he taught math in school, in high school math, and we could expect that when school year ended, that he would have a heart attack or something. And it was almost a guarantee that the week after school ended, he would end up in the hospital. I don't know why that was, but, but it was for him. Ending was painful. I find for myself that when I finish a project, like if I'm writing a book or uh, if I feel uh, something else that's going on and it's a major project, when it's done, I often feel really depressed for a few days. Sometimes the very thing we have been working towards brings sadness. A little over 18 months ago, I came here for a specific purpose, and you, you know the history. After a short time, your, your previous pastor had to resign, and I was called to serve as transitional pastor. Ultimately, I was to help the church prepare for whoever the next pastor would be. No one knew who that would be or when the pastor would be evident, uh, but all of this time here was looking forward to the next chapter in this church's life. And now that chapter's beginning. 
And I've enjoyed the time as, as much or more than any other church I've worked with. And I've talked to a friend, and, and he was asking me how, how much I enjoyed it here. And he asked if I was sad to be leaving. And at first, I stayed, uh, started to say no. And then I realized, no, that's not true. I was very sad. But at the same time, I realized this was the time I had come for. And thinking about what I wanted to say, I remembered the words of Jesus. Yes, he had preferred to avoid what was coming and stay with the disciples, but the end, the separation and the death was why he came. So too, this is why I come, not for the same purpose as Christ, but I came here for the purpose of leaving. While there's sadness, there's also a lot of joy. I'd like to, to sing and, and dance, uh, which is something you really don't want to see me try, but I'd like to sing and dance for joy for, for where the church is. This is a great moment in the history of the church, and I'm excited about what's yet to come. I want you to look forward to the future with your new pastor with expectation and hope. Nothing could make me happier than to hear how well things are going and how the church is working with the new pastor, because that's why I came. I don't expect that everything will work wonderfully in the coming years. There will be times when you struggle with where your pastor leads. There will be times when you find yourself really disagreeing with the pastor. Those are all normal uh, human reactions. What I hope is that you will remember the excitement that you have now and that the moment uh, while you're looking forward to his beginning and that that excitement will carry you through. God doesn't make mistakes. If later you think that you've called the wrong pastor, remember God was aware of what was happening and God will always be there. If there is a problem, then it's because there are normal problems that come up with any relationship or it's because you forgot to keep trusting God. You and your pastor are not alone in any endeavor. You, whatever it is, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to be with us and that Holy Spirit will be present in this church. The only question is whether or not the church will listen to what the Spirit says. So today, as I, I say uh, goodbye, my time here is done, I'm reminded of another thing that Jesus said, and, and it applies to the work here. It is finished. And I say with, uh, with real joy regarding my time here and with you who I've come to love so much, it is finished. Join with me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, I thank you for the wonderful time you've given me in serving uh, these who are your people. I ask that you continue to guide them in the coming years, to uh, guide them in the hopes and the plans that they have, in the choices they make, in the uh, issues that they confront. May those in this community see in them something that draws people to them. And the people who are in this community and seeing what's happening here will come and say to these, your servants, we want to see Jesus. May it be so. Amen.